Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you really just you you gave up on the pun from the movie and just straight up said it. There's really oh, did I do that on purpose or did I, I just? I, yeah, why would you have done that? I, you don't understand. So, um, yeah, in the spirit of this film, uh, what is this film? Uh, we are talking about the films of 2012 in this season, and we are here at the Academy Awards Best Picture winner which is Argo from director Ben Affleck with the wonderful catchphrase, Argo, fuck yourself, which that's what it was. I know, Jason, <laughs> come on. How could you have screwed that up? Uh, let me try again. Josh, <laughs> go fuck yourself. OK. Uh, oh, we did it again. The theme here. <laughs> that uh, catchphrase, I'm pretty sure one of the fictionalized elements of this film, I didn't look that up to be certain but i doubt that that's something that these real people were saying to each other i i can believe the hollywood types saying it to each other and the cia types but honestly um you know i think that one of the strengths of this movie it's dealing with such a serious matter but it has such a dark sense of humor to it i really thought the comedy came through in this piece yeah it is i mean in, in the hollywood stuff especially with the characters played by John Goodman and Alan Arkin, who are these uh, Hollywood types who assist the CIA in setting up a fake movie production that they use as cover for extracting these six Americans from Iran during the hostage crisis in 1979 and 1980. And those guys are very funny. You know, the 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 stuff that's not funny is taken seriously, but it's a good balance, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree with you, but I also will say the stuff within the CIA when they're trying to build this plan, you know, and they're talking about how, uh, just how of a dire the circumstances are. They have a really, like I said, dark sense of humor about it, and I think a lot of those lines shine through. Yes, that is true. There's that whole scene where they present it to, I don't even know, some of this movie has so many different layers of government bureaucrats that it's hard to keep track of who is who. But Philip Baker Hall's character, who has to sign off on it, and they they tell him it's the best bad idea that they can come up with. A very memorable <laughs> line, yeah. And yes. that scene. And this whole movie is like, I think Ben Affleck was like, who are my 15 favorite character actors? I'm going <laughs> to get them all into this movie. Yeah. Yes. And, and they're not only all in it, but they all serve a, a purpose and deliver. Yeah, I mean, this is a ridiculously stacked cast. And uh, I mean, when we talk about the legacy later, I was thinking like, are we going to just run two hours, the entire yeah. careers of like 15 different actors? Yeah, but but yes, this is a is an incredibly uh, deep cast where, you know, you see characters who have just a couple of lines and it's like, oh, look, there's this great actor. There's Chris Messina doing like two things in this movie. Right. And uh, and you mentioned Philip Baker Hall. I think that's his only scene in the movie, yeah. right? So, right. No, I think you're correct on that. Messina is one of the uh, Affleck favorites that he yes, utilizes he again and again. Yes. Uh, so this movie, which is not always the case with the Best Picture winner, was a very big hit. It was a popular film as well as an acclaimed film. It grossed $232.3 million on its $44.5 million budget. So one of those sort of mid-budget films that we don't get so much anymore, but uh, a, a big, big hit. 
very uh, crowd pleasing. I think you can say that this film was. It was nominated for seven Oscars it, at the Academy Awards. It won three of those, including Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay for Chris Terrio, and Best Film Editing. It was also nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, which is the thing that is now just one award, uh, Best Original Score, and Best Supporting Actor for Alan Arkin. Uh, it did win the Golden Globe as well for Best Motion Picture Drama, and Ben Affleck won the Best Director Golden Globe, even though he was not even nominated for a Best Director Oscar. And that's wild, right? Because usually if you win Best Picture, there aren't too many. I think maybe was uh, Driving Miss Daisy We might when we covered Possibly, one. Possibly, yeah. Like, no Best uh, Director nom, but it won the Best Picture. And uh, one other point, Josh, that I wanted to make based on what you said is... Uh, when you said the budget at forty-four million, could you see this at anything less than eighty million today? Yeah, maybe not. And also, <laughs> it wouldn't get greenlit at that kind of a budget. So, I mean, there's inflation too, and I don't know if forty-four million in twenty twelve what that equivalent is now. It's probably not eighty million, but I'm sure it's a bit more than forty-four. But, but still, I mean, this is the kind of movie that is not. Like if they made this movie now, instead of getting the $80 million budget, they would get like a $20 million budget and have to cut a bunch of corners because that's the only way something like this would get made. Or they'd get 120 in six episodes. <laughs> yeah. And it would be worse. It would definitely be worse. Mm -hmm. So Josh, here's the game, which I know you love playing. Who are you taking out of best director? And I already know your <laughs> answer. Ang Lee won for Life of Pi. Michael Hanukkah, who we've mentioned and we talked about for a more. Ben Zeitlin for uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Steven Spielberg for Lincoln, or David O. Russell for Silver Linings Playbook? Yeah, well, we just had our episode talking about Ben Zeitlin and his film Beasts of the Southern Wild. And yeah, I would, I, I would probably take him out there, I think. I think, Josh, if I'm going to go another way, look, we all know Spielberg as influential and as a master uh, of the craft as much as anyone, but Lincoln didn't pop for me, bro. No, I liked Lincoln. I thought... Go. I mean, I haven't seen it since 2012, so I have to reassess or whatever. But I remember going into that movie thinking, oh, I don't really have much excitement over a Lincoln or Abraham Lincoln biopic at this point. And I thought they took a good angle to it. And it was very focused on a specific moment, which is to me what is always the best way to do a biopic rather than trying to encompass someone's entire life. And uh, I remember thinking it was actually surprisingly engrossing, but it's been a while. Little mini episode of Lincoln inside our bigger episode on Argo. <laughs> I was bored the whole time. I thought it was a little stiff and stilted. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, our memories from more than 10 years ago. I assume neither of us have seen it since then. No. So. Maybe we'll have to do a rewatch on it and do our own version of the Ringer's rewatchables to see if some, this makes some cuts. Someday or just a, an episode of Awesome Movie Year. <laughs> ah, interesting. <laughs> so, of course, this was inspired by a real life incident, which was known as the Canadian Caper, because these six Americans who were extracted had been hiding out in the Canadian ambassador's home. And this operation was put together with the assistance of the Canadian government. And I don't know that we need to run through a list of everything that was changed or embellished here. Uh, it was based on both a memoir by Tony Mendez, the real-life CIA agent who uh, is played by Ben Affleck in this film, as well as a Wired magazine article specifically just about this Argo operation. Mendez's book was an overall memoir about his life in the CIA. 
Um, many things were changed. To me, one of the things that struck out, stuck out notably because we, as we've just talked about, he's such a memorable character. He was nominated for an Oscar. Alan Arkin's character in this film is fictional. He's not a real mm, person. That's a bummer. We need yeah. more Alan Arkins. I mean, Alan Arkin is a real person. Oh, but... he's not a fictional person. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Josh, here's a quote from Jimmy Carter, president during this uh, crisis, as you mentioned. Ninety uh, percent of the contributions to the ideas and the consummation of the plan was Canadian. And the movie gives almost full credit to the American CIA. And with that exception, the movie is very good. But Ben Affleck's character in the film was only in Tehran for a day and a half. And the main hero, in my opinion, was Ken Taylor, who was a Canadian ambassador who orchestrated the entire process. Here played by Victor Garber. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, you know, Affleck said, hey, we're we're doing something inspired by a true story. We're not doing the true story. So uh, that's where we are. America. Right. I mean, and I think mm -hmm. that's OK that you acknowledge that it's not like they were trying to hide, per se. And you're making a movie. You're making a fiction film that you want to be entertaining and engrossing for audiences. You have to use dramatic license in order to achieve that. It's not a documentary. So. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I understand when some of the real people involved or people who knew the real people involved are maybe more sensitive to the idea that they weren't portrayed properly or weren't given the proper credit, as Jimmy Carter talks about there. But I think on the whole, as a movie, it works really well and it doesn't really bother me about things that were changed. Well, you know, as you know, we're raw, raw patriots here. So and and I think this movie is I I understand that you could criticize it as being, you know, kind of overly uh, jingoistic, but I think it's a lot less so than movies like this. And, you know, maybe like Michael Bay's Benghazi movie is one that people have compared this to. And, you know, compared to that, this is extremely critical of America. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there, you know, we know there are the criticisms of the other side and like, hey, why didn't they explain why Iranians stormed the embassy on this day and like is and you know are these fully negative portrayals of them and it's like you know fair criticisms at the same time I think you're looking at one small group through the eyes of uh, another small group and that's what we have to focus on right and this movie does open with a whole expository sequence that essentially blames the United States for the situation as it existed before this crisis and doesn't I don't think pull punches on that. So I, I feel like if you're concerned about that, like it's giving a good context for it early on. And maybe these specific people in the movie, Mendez and the hostages, they weren't like directly to blame for the situation, of course. But the idea that the United States created an atmosphere in which this happened, I think is pretty clear. Man, it is wild that the U.S. would ever interfere with another <laughs> government and change the trajectory of that country for their own benefit. Yeah, but I think as as much as we're cynical about that, maybe a lot of audiences don't think about that. And this is, he could easily, Affleck could easily have cut that prologue out and he puts it in to give you that proper context. Onward and upward, sir. Indeed. So this movie was extremely well-reviewed in addition to the awards and the success at the box office. Roger Ebert said, Ben Affleck not only stars in, but also directs. And Argo, the real movie about the fake movie, is both spellbinding and surprisingly funny. Affleck is brilliant at choreographing the step-by-step -step risks that the team take in exiting Tehran. 
and Argo has cliffhanging moments when the whole delicate plan seems likely to split at the seams. The craft in this film is rare. It is so easy to manufacture a thriller from chases and gunfire, and so very hard to fine-tune it out of exquisite timing and a plot that's so clear to us we wonder why it isn't obvious to the Iranians. After all, who in their right mind would believe a space opera was being filmed in Iran during the hostage crisis? Just about everyone, it turns out. Hooray for Hollywood. Well, I mean, you know, the movies don't stop. You got to keep making, the show must go on, as we say. So I could believe that uh, a producer would be doing that, you know. So a few years ago, after one of the big hurricanes in, um, you know, in Houston, which was tragic, I thought, uh, I even talked to a producer about it. How come no one's made like a get out of the hurricane comedy? Like we're all a mismatched group stuck together and now we have to work together to get out of here. So, you know, movies, baby, we keep going no matter what. Right. And I mean, there is a scene here where I think one of Ben Affleck's uh, superiors expresses that skepticism, like who would believe this? And and Affleck, Tony Mendez says, we all know that Hollywood people would, you know, film in Stalingrad with a produced by Pol Pot if it meant that it could make money. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's addressed here. And the idea that it could make money or I think too the idea that it could save money. Like, you know, I definitely can envision a producer saying, well, look, it would cost us this much to go film in a stable country. But if we go film in the war torn country, (laughs) they'll give us these locations for nothing. Putin's got a great tax credit right now if you go film in uh, (laughs) some of his areas. You know, the, the other point, Josh, in that review, and I know this was around uh, the time Ebert died, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, depending on I, I, when these movies were released and some of them were later. So it, this might have been like a year or so. He died in 2013. I forget exactly what month. Yeah. Yeah. So because I tried to look at a top 10 list if he had one for 2012. I didn't find one, but then I did find a citation that said this was his number one movie of the year. So I don't know what's Yeah, what. I'm not sure about that either. But there is that point he makes about uh, how it is an effective thriller. And that was something that totally shined through. I'm like, man, this guy has done a great job of just ratcheting up the tension. And like sometimes you watch these movies and you're like another obstacle because we need to, you know, get past it. But like everything made sense. Everything fell into place. Everything heightened, um, the you know, to the next thing. I thought that was a really effective 70s style thriller that he made. Yeah, totally. I mean, and a lot of that stuff is what has been embellished or made up. I mean, the big Ebert mentions that it doesn't need chases, but there is a chase at the end as they're on the plane trying to leave the country and the authorities finally figure out what was going on. And these these Iranian police vehicles are chasing them down the runway. And none of that really happened or or even the moment before they got on the plane where the revolutionary guard is checking all their credentials and they're kind of on pins and needles as to whether they'll get approved to get on the plane. All of that was was made up. So but again, I feel like that's all done in service of keeping you on the hook as a viewer to care about what happens to these people. I agree, because when I was reading like some of the changes from like real life to this, I think they said like there was no issue with uh, the plane tickets and they didn't need a like a start stop start from Carter. It was Ken Taylor's wife that just bought them all six different tickets and like that's amazing that she did that, but I don't think the movie uh, would have been nearly as effective if she's like, hey, guys, got you all tickets. You can leave now, right? Right. Um, also, as we all know, because uh, I think uh, we've all now seen every Affleck movie that's out that he directed, 
uh, up until this point is he loves car chases. There is a car chase in, I think, every movie that he's made. Yeah, we at the point of recording this have not seen air because it has not come out yet, but it will have, I think, by the time this is released. And I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there is no car chase in air. I mean, the Jordan shoes could become so popular that they're <laughs> racing to the mall to beat each other to get them. But I uh, guess that is yeah, possible. That'll but work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to doubt it. So uh, Manola Dargis in The New York Times was also very positive. She said, it's a doozy of a story and so borderline ridiculous that it sounds, ta-da, like something that could have been cooked up only by Hollywood. Ben Affleck, however, who directed Argo from a script by Chris Terrio and cast himself in the pivotal role of Tony Mendez, realized that comedy alone wouldn't do. American lives, after all, were at stake, a situation that contemporary viewers will be all too familiar with. And so, after opening the movie with a bit of history and archival imagery, he rushes into the moment's jarring, unsettling craziness with a cinematic whoosh. Mr. Affleck embellishes the official story without eviscerating it. In the end, this is a story about outwitting rather than killing the enemy, making it a homage to actual intelligence and an example of the same. Uh, yep. <laughs> yes. he, he got it. He did it. He yeah. Did. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's true. Even though we have that little car chase at the end, this is really more a movie about logistics and people making phone calls and which is, I think, a lot of what air looks like it's going to be as well in a very, very different context. And I think, you know, he's good at that, at making that just as suspenseful in that sequence, which, again, is made up, but still where. Uh, you know, Brian Cranston is suddenly trying to get the White House chief of staff on the phone so that he can get Carter's approval so that the plane tickets will go through. And it's all just phone calls and telexes and all this stuff. But it really, really is gripping. Yeah. And those are so much fun. I like when movies are able to really uh, keep the tension and the thrills without having it to be like all shootouts all the time. So this is super effective. Uh, I wanted to say, Josh, this is the first movie that he directed that he didn't co-write uh, or write on his own. So I thought that was interesting that he was taking that on. Yeah. And I believe that's the same case with Air. I don't remember if he returned to writing for Live By Night after this. But he did write that. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like he's he's good at both, but he is certainly able to bring a, his own stamp to this. I mean, I think if you watch this movie after watching Gone Baby Gone and The Town, his previous films as a director, it's it certainly, you can see the continuity there uh, style-wise, even if he's not the writer here as well. Yeah, Air was not written by him, but again, it looks like he's just stacking the cast with all these great actors. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, this is an Academy Award-winning script, but the delight is that you've given it to actors who not only do it justice, but who are able to elevate it because they're all such masters of their craft. Right. And Affleck has got, I mean, in addition to, I'm sure, being uh, involved in the development of the script, even if he's not the writer, I mean, the casting here, the the editing that was Oscar nominated, the look of it, as we said, it, it very much evokes the look of those 70s kind of paranoia, conspiracy thrillers, and just you know, the orchestration of all of the elements that he pulls off as a director is really impressive. Yeah. Someone say something bad. <laughs> well, here we go. <laughs> Perfect segue, Jason, because I did want to get a slightly negative reaction <laughs> to this film and one from outside the U.S. So Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian in the U.K. said, 
Ben Affleck's new movie as a director is an amazing real-life caper straight out of Ripley's Believe It or Not. It tells the true story of some imaginative daring-do on the part of a brilliant and unorthodox CIA agent called Tony Mendez. This is a watchable, enjoyable film with some hilarious and nail-biting moments, but it sets its face disconcertingly against satire and mischief with a final lurch into schmaltzy liberal patriot piety. It's as if Aaron Sorkin, in his most solemn mood, had suddenly taken over screenwriting duties for the final 10 minutes. A gobsmackingly bizarre adventure that finally has to be rescued from irony and subversion and treated with uplifting solemnity, as if to repudiate any sense that what we have been watching is a comedy. But a comedy is basically what it is, and a good one. That's a strange review for me, because while we've already sang the praises of the comedic elements in this film, like we've also said it's a thriller throughout. You don't, you you know, when you're as good as this movie is, you're able to combine genres and, you know, work uh, tonally in different stages. And I think real life would be that, right? You know, it's not all going to be all tense or all haha all the time. So I don't really, I do get the idea of like a shifting tone, but I did not get a shifting tone here. I got something that worked harmoniously throughout. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think that I, even though there are moments that are comedic and are funny, I would not categorize this as a comedy, even as like a dark comedy or a comedy thriller or anything that you would sort of hybridize there. I mean, this is this is a thriller. This is a serious film that has some comic relief to it. And I think it was Bradshaw. It was one of the reviews I read that that one of the comparisons they make to this film is Wag the Dog and which is a great film, but I think is a poor comparison because that is a satire. And this is not a satire. It could be. I think you could have taken this story, the real life elements of this story and made it a satire, but that's not what Ben Affleck is doing here. Right. Wag the Dog is a fun fictional piece just based on spoofing uh, the world of politics and war and, you know, uh, propaganda and spin cycles and everything. And this is based on something completely different that we've already talked about that was real and I think captures, um, you know, a real unique tone that matches something that's so unique. Yeah, I mean, but what I'm saying is that you could, even with this being a real story as opposed to the fictional story of Wag the Dog, approach it in a satirical way. And there are movies like that that tell serious real stories with the tone of like, can you believe this bullshit? You know, like right. to bring up Michael Bay again, you know, like Pain and Gain or or I, Tanya, for example. And those are less... Gonna, yeah, The Informant by Steven yes. Soderbergh. You yeah. Know. Yeah. So we could have done that here, but that's not what's happening. And so I think to criticize it for not being that is a little weird. But I did want to get some slightly critical response in here as well. So uh, we, however, seem to have really enjoyed this. Jason, did you see this when it came out? I did. I saw it in the theater, I believe, in Los Angeles, where movies cost twice as much as they do anywhere else. And I still liked it, Josh. And I still do like it, obviously. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I saw this, uh, I mean, and reviewed it at the time it came out. And I think I mentioned in our Sound of My Voice episode that this was my number two movie of the year on my top 10 list. So really, really liked it then. I liked it a lot now too. I don't know if I would put it at number two if I was making a list from 2012 now, but it is really entertaining and I think it holds up really well. And I just want to say, Josh, you have a top 10 list from every single year on Letterboxd, don't you? Pretty much. Yeah. Going back to like the early thirties, I believe there's a couple of gaps in there where I haven't quite seen enough movies, but I, I did embark on that ridiculous project a while ago. Yeah. You've really dedicated. <laughs> it's yourself amazing. To some. 
such a something. That is a good way to put it. So, uh, Dave, did you see this uh, when it came out? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I think I liked it more this time around. Uh, I, I liked it back then plenty. You know, obviously I've talked a lot about how much I've liked Ben Affleck's uh, work as a director. But uh, yeah, I liked it even more this time. I think I agree with you, Dave. I think I'm the same. I like it more this time around also. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's I certainly know. a very good film and uh, maybe just the heights of my enjoyment of it were so high before that it was a slight come down here but i'm not gonna say anything negative really i don't think um mm -hmm. and uh do you want to talk anything else about the background of this film jason uh man i think we covered so much background here josh that uh we are ready to move on so let's do that we'll come back and talk more of our general thoughts on argo Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about Academy Awards Best Picture winner Argo from director Ben Affleck. And, and we all think this is a really good film. And I think uh, it seems like it holds up pretty well, you know, decade plus later. I think it does. And I think it, uh, like we said, it hits that sweet spot of those 70s thrillers that, um, you know, we know uh, Ben Affleck is a student of cinema and he pulls it off here. Yeah. And I think part of what works well about this film, and, and I didn't remember all the details of the story as I was watching it again. And it opens with this extremely tense sequence of the actual attack on the U.S. embassy in in Tehran, where it is overrun by these student protesters and the American employees are frantically trying to destroy documents and they're scared for their lives. And I knew that, okay, this is the, the lead up to this Iran hostage crisis where people were taken hostage in the embassy. But I couldn't remember like who, you know, were people killed? Like uh, the whole aspect of the six people who got away, which is the story of this film, I had forgotten about. So I think leading up to that, I thought, oh man, I wonder... If this is if this is about the main hostage crisis, I feel like maybe that comedic tone that I remembered maybe isn't going to work for me this time. But I think what's really smart about this movie is that it's essentially about a side story to what was the huge international incident. And that allows Affleck really to kind of sidestep a lot of those big, serious political issues that people might be wondering about as they watch this film. Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? You're you're using a microcosm to tell the story, but is there like a relation to the macro? Obviously there is, and uh, you can look at it both ways, I guess. But there are so many movies that we've seen that try to take on too much of something like a situation or a life or something where you're like, hey man, if you had just kind of refined it down to one aspect and just told one story, that would have been a much clearer, better picture. Right. I think so. And I'm sure there are movies about the the overall hostage crisis. I, I'm not familiar with what those might be, but I'm sure they exist. But, you know, it, there's I think it was 55 people who were ultimately held in that embassy. And that's going to make it difficult to create distinctive characters for a film. But when you have these six people who are hiding out in the Canadian ambassador's house, it's a lot easier to get a feel for them as individuals, as characters, even though this is a film with a lot of characters, certainly, but I think you have an understanding of them. And I think it's a fair criticism, though, to say you that those characters all blend together. They're not really characters as much as they are like hostages that we have to free. 
True. I mean, they're not as distinctive as Tony Mendez himself, but I feel like there is differentiation, especially when we get to the point where Mendez shows up and he says, here's the plan and here's what we're going to do and here's how I'm going to get you out of here. And Scoot McNary's character in particular is just freaking out and he's like, I don't trust you. You're, we're all going to die. I'm not willing to go along with this. And there's this schism among the the hostage characters about whether they are willing to go along with this plan. And I feel like you've gotten enough of a sense of who these people are that you can understand like, okay, here's the guy who is freaking out and here are the people who are more willing, you know, Tate Donovan's character who's the more like seasoned foreign service character who's like, yep, this is what we got to do. Let's do it. And and I feel like there was enough of that. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a criticism I could make, but then, you know, like you said, there's so many different characters. Like, where do you put the focus? The focus was on the rescue. So, you know, you're, you're following the people who are planning and uh, executing the rescue in the movie, not in real life. Right. Yes. And I mean, John Goodman and Alan Arkin as the Hollywood guys give such charismatic, fun, big performances that they inevitably, I think, overshadow those hostage characters who, by nature of the kind of people they are, are these more quiet, reserved types. And that's what we've got. And the contrast is part of what's entertaining about the movie. But certainly you come away from the movie. Remember, I mean, there's a reason that Alan Arkin was the one who was nominated for awards is because he's the one that you kind of remember as you come out of the movie. I mean, and I think this is not even, you know, I mean, he's had so many memorable roles. I don't know where you put this one, but I don't put it like as up top with like a little Miss Sunshine or something. But John Goodman and Alan Arkin pretty much steal every movie that they're ever in. So, you know, those are as good of character actors and should be leading men in some places uh, as we have. Yeah, absolutely. And they're both really good and really entertaining in this film. And I think part of, you know, what you're saying about Alan Arkin, I think is right. But part of what's so appealing is that you can imagine this just being sort of a fun lark for Alan Arkin. And he's just having a good time sort of lampooning Hollywood producer types that he's probably known throughout his career. And this isn't something that he's coming in thinking, oh, this is my Oscar moment. But he's so good that it is anyway. Right, exactly. And and had John Goodman gotten a nod, I don't think any of us would have been complaining either. Right. No, they're both very entertaining. And, and we should say his character, John Chambers, the makeup artist, is a real person. So, I mean, that was someone who really did work with the CIA in helping them with this operation and other operations where they would require, you know, prosthetics and things like that. So he really was involved in this uh, operation, even if the more colorful producer character is not a real real person. Well, um, I was going to say, you know, I think we as we've mentioned this season, this was the award that Christoph Waltz won for best supporting actor, his second one. And like, man, there were some just real juicy supporting actor roles in this year, huh? Yeah, I'm sure there were. I mean, and I wouldn't deny Christoph Waltz that award. He is great. But yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, totally. And 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 I think that's the thing is that, like I was saying, like, this is not some sort of powerhouse performance from Arkin. He's very entertaining. And I'm glad that he got recognition, but it's not like, oh, he was robbed. This is the the high point of his acting career or anything like that. Well, what about Brian Cranston? Because this is before he kind of took over the world as Heisenberg and he's got a nice media role here too. Yeah, he's good. I mean, part of his role is this stock like boss guy who's like, you can't do this. And then it's like, okay, well, it's just crazy enough to work kind of thing. And that that's, that could be very one-dimensional, but he's great and and makes it real. And you get the sense of him, his relationship with Tony Mendez, where he's sort of a mentor and they've come, maybe they've come up together in the CIA and, and he's 
he knows how good Mendez is, even if Mendez is sort of a train wreck in his personal life or all of these things, which are kind of cliches, but they make them right. I missed my kid's birthday again and, you know, all this. But, uh, Josh, you had mentioned that uh, sequence at the end, which is extremely harrowing and really effective as a thriller piece. And I think there's another sequence in there where they have to, you know, act as if, you know, hey, we're on location to scout this movie and we're using the hostages uh, as different uh, crew members of the movie. And to sell that, we're all, you know, meeting at the bazaar and we're going to location scout with our guide. And obviously it doesn't go well and they get surrounded. And that was a really tense scene also. And even driving them driving that day, I think that was the scene where they're driving and like people are hitting the van and everything like that. That was that was a really another sequence that ratcheted everything up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of really good suspense in this film. And I think this is the kind of movie and this is tough with true story movies where even if you go into this being aware of the real story and the fact that they did all survive and they got rescued and they came home, you can still be really drawn into the suspense and really, uh, you know, on the edge of your seat about what's going to happen to the characters. Dave, chime in. I mean, I was thinking about Ben Affleck, you know, I, I, I love him and I think he's great here and everything, but like, what do you guys think about him casting himself in this particular role? It's just such like a, like a classic leading man character. It's just, it seems like of all the roles to give yourself, it's like kind of a little over the top. I mean, it could be, but I feel like he underplays it as an actor and it's not like mm-hmm. he makes Tony Mendez into Captain America or something like that. Right. And so right. I think that goes a long way towards forgiving him for making himself the star of his own movie is that Mendez, while clearly competent, is not like some sort of glamour. He's not a Michael Bay hero or anything like that. And and so I, I don't mind it. So, Jason, how do you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, this was um, a good part for him. He did a good job with this part. So and I think he cast himself well in the town also. I think it's what comes after this when he's directing that the problem is. <laughs> sure. uh, maybe so. Yeah. I mean, and of course, he hasn't. I mean, since Gone Baby Gone, which he is not in, he has cast himself in all of his movies that he's directed. And so that's not something that he I mean, who knows what the future will hold, but it doesn't seem like something where. He is reluctant to star uh, alongside directing. No, and that's okay. I mean, obviously that's okay. And I think like Air is going to be a good project for him. I, you know, I just have a lot of problems with Live by Night. And I think he was not uh, at his best as an actor there either. Right. Well, and you are not the only one who feels that way. So I wanted to mention another another sequence that that really struck me. And as we we're talking about that balance between the comedic and the serious and also the balance between the like antics of Hollywood and the incredibly dangerous situation in Iran, there is a scene where in order to sort of promote the fake movie Argo and get press coverage to make it look real, they stage this ridiculous like live script reading with all these actors in these goofy sci-fi costumes so that they can get Variety and other magazines to show up and write an article about it. And we see the reading of this script, which is obviously meant to be this sort of dumb sci-fi B-movie and all these people in these goofy costumes. And, And Affleck intercuts it with this situation in Iran and also the idea that the Iranians themselves are sort of putting on a show. They're holding press conferences and and staging photo ops or whatever to get their message out. And I thought that was a really effective way to remind us in the midst of silliness that there's like life or death stakes here, but also to kind of equate 
this political theater with Hollywood theater. Right. It's all. Uh, and that, I think, is where you can bring in Wag the Dog, right? That's what that whole movie's about. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, so I wouldn't call this satire, but it is a reminder that that all of this stuff is is a production. All the way. world's a stage, Josh. So all true. The world. Mm-hmm. So true, Jason. Um, are there any other like supporting actors? I mean, we mentioned how big this cast is that you want to highlight. Kyle Chandler is great. <laughs> Kyle, I mean, look, they're they're it's the who's who of supporting actors, right? Yeah. You know, you mentioned you mentioned a few and you got uh, you know, Zelko of Ivanic, who's great in, you know, everything. Titus Welliver, Richard Kind always brings a uh, a welcome, mm-hmm. uh, uh, delightful air to his performance, right? So yeah, I did. Richard Richard Kind, who plays like the agent who tries to sell them the script, and he's just this really sad sack guy. And Alan Arkin like eviscerates his attempt to get more money for their the script, and then lowballs him and gets it for less. And I kept thinking of uh, he plays a, a an agent on the show, the other two right now, who's even more pathetic than this, who has to like yes. supplement his agent business by being a cab driver and a waiter and all this stuff. And it That's but funny. it has the exact same energy as the his performance here. Well, oh, yeah. you think like you get this, you know, oh, I'm only in one scene, and then you read the scene and you're like, man. And that is that is something I can chomp my teeth into. Right. And there's a lot of that. We, you know, Bill Baker Hall, too, has that that one scene where he's just like, I mean, of course, he's great because because why wouldn't he be? Um, and it's just every I feel like as you watch this movie, every scene, you're like, whoa, hey, look, it's that person. It's that person. Amazing. Right. There, there was a lot of that. And there's a lot of that in most Affleck movies. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously someone very, very connected in Hollywood and seemingly pretty well liked. And so people are happy to work with him. On and whatever. we like him, Josh. So let's we do. rate this movie out of five. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Jason's <laughs> sticking with that bit. Good for you, Jason. Josh, this got four go fuck yourselves from me. A very high score. A really great movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to give it four as well. That's, I think, what I gave it at the time it came out. And even if I wasn't blown away as much this time, it's just like there's it's so well made. There's really very little that I can come at and say this is this is not successful. So four for me as well. Dave, how many Argo fuck yourselves would you give this? Four Argo fuck yourselves. It's great. Movie. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll come back then and talk about the legacy of Argo. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about the Oscar Best Picture winner Argo from Ben Affleck. And as we kind of have talked a little bit about uh, the legacy for Affleck as a director, I mean, this was his third film and it was seemingly like just build and build and build to the point where now he wins best picture on his third film and he can do whatever he wants. And the legacy is that the next movie he directed live by night, no one liked, and it was a failure. <laughs> Josh liked it. I did. Dave like it. and Jason did not like it at all. No, we did not. Um, and I haven't seen it since it was released. So maybe I would not as much like it if I saw it again today. It was another Dennis Lehane adaptation who, of course, wrote the source material for Gone Baby Gone. So it seemed like, oh, obviously, this is a great choice for him. Another crime movie based on a novel by the same guy. And he is going to star in it. And he was so great as starring in Argo. And then it just completely crashed and burned. 
And uh, Jason, you watched it recently, so if you want yeah, to I because uh, I had never seen it before, and I you know um, I'm in the middle of a rewatch of The Town, which is good, and Gone Baby Gone. We've talked about we all really like that movie, so this just misses on all the levels that uh, Argo hits. You know, um, all these intersecting stories that are supposed to like tie together and heighten just feel like their own separate entities. Affleck is miscast as like this. Uh, gangster even though we've seen him play like bad guy roles before and do well with it and uh it just nothing comes together tonally or you know the material just keeps dragging it's a very long two hours yeah i mean i think again i don't remember enough about it to be as specific but i i do think i i felt like affleck was not the best choice to star in the film and that maybe it would have been better with someone else, but I I feel like I I thought it was mostly effective as a crime picture, as a suspense story, and that it it takes place a lot of it in in Florida, and that it really captured that atmosphere. It's a different kind of place to have that crime story take place. So I mean, I liked it at the time. Who knows how I'd feel? You know, I think yeah, Josh. Like we know, in the last few years, Affleck has uh, uh, he had to go. He went to rehab, right? He was an alcoholic, so. Um, I think there's I'm not equating that with any of the stuff that he's done, but I'm saying like now there seems to be a clarity of vision of what he wants to do and is kind of beyond the comeback trail. He's he's all in again. Yeah, I mean, he did take a long period of time off, especially from directing after Live by Night. I mean, Air, which is, again, about to be released as we're recording. This is his first film as a director since then. I mean, he worked pretty steadily as an actor, including a lot of pretty acclaimed work. I mean, he's great in Gone Girl. Um, he, of course, played Batman in a, in a bunch of uh, Zack Snyder projects and, and is set to appear in another movie as Batman in The Flash that's coming out this summer. So, I mean, that became a whole big thing for him. And he was at one point going to star in and direct a Batman movie for himself that didn't happen, which I thought could have been potentially intriguing, but I'm not really sad that he missed that. Um, the accountant, which I think is a really dumb movie, but was a big hit getting and, a sequel. Yeah. S- somehow it's uh, become one of these old school things that I think got a big audience by airing on TNT constantly, which is not something that happens as much anymore. Um, you know, Maybe had a bit, the accountant should fight the Lincoln lawyer. They <laughs> think so. I, I, on my, on letterbox had a, a dumb little pitch for, you know, of course, uh, Affleck and Jennifer Garner. Married for a long time, not anymore. But she had her own action movie called uh, Peppermint, and I did come up with my pitch for The Accountant versus Peppermint, which uh, will never happen. But ah, uh, nice. well, um, you'll have to beat that out for us, and we can do a reading of it at some point in time. Sounds good. Yeah, Affleck is attached to direct two movies now: uh, Witness for the Prosecution, which is an Agatha Christie story, and I think has been made as a film before. Yeah, right? it was like a huge, it's like a classic film, which I've not seen, but I mean, I feel like that's one of those movies where you have to think, why are you putting, setting yourself up for criticism by remaking this I mean, classic? you know, Kenneth Branagh, it worked, right? Death on the Nile and all that stuff. and mm, It worked. Yeah. You know, you got a sequel out of it. And then they Keeper did. of the Lost Cities, a telepathic girl must figure out why she is the key to her brand new world before the wrong person finds answers first. Hmm, that's interesting. So I wonder if those will happen because I feel like he's been attached to so many things as a director 
over the years that have not come to fruition, whether it was that Batman movie or he and Matt Damon, I think, were supposed to star in that movie about the baseball players who swapped wives, right. which still sounds mm -hmm. fun. Maybe it'll happen. But I mean, it was years ago that they said that they were going to make that movie and they never have. They did. It was called The Last Duel. <laughs> the Last Duel is quite good. And yeah, I mean, this is another is. in in Affleck's line of really strong acting performances. But that's one where he also co-wrote the screenplay. And I think that's a really smart movie about a topic. Again, you go into that movie, and I think that was part of why maybe it failed is because people saw trailers and thought it was one kind of thing. And it was really very different from how it was presented that way. And it's a really an interesting film. Yeah, I got to watch that. I think it is gaining... Um... Uh, more acclaim as the years go on, as more yeah. people get to see it. Josh, I found it interesting that Chris Terrio based this script on the Wired article uh, by Joshua Behrman, The Great Escape, how the CIA used a fake sci-fi to rescue Americans from Tehran. It's cool that, that that happened. And now everyone just writes screenplays based on articles. That is true. Although we should say that, again, that was one source for it. He also based it on Tony Mendez's memoir, or at least part of it. Right. So there was more than just a magazine article here. And that is called The Master of Disguise, not to be confused with the Dana Carvey film, Master of Disguise. I don't know if anyone would, but <laughs> what if Dana Carvey had played Tony Mendez? Hey, How would that have worked? I mean, he could have played someone else, I feel like. You know, he could have played uh, the Victor Garber part. He's Canadian, or isn't he? Is Dana Carvey Canadian or just California? I think so. so. I don't know. <laughs> Mike Mike Myers is Canadian, so maybe that's why you're you're... Sort of Maybe. conflating oh, those two. Yeah. Man. Josh, uh, you we talk about awards. You forgot to mention this one, the Golden Raspberry for a Razzie Redeemer. After oh. all the after all the shots fired at Affleck, he gets the Razzie Redeemer here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's uh, we keep talking about how the Razzies suck, and I feel like that's another way that they suck where they're like trying to cover their bases, like, yeah, we said this person was terrible, but they're all right in our book now. Like, don't hate us, kind of thing. Yeah, I hear you, Josh. That's that's fair. Well, we mentioned Brian Cranston. Obviously, his uh, is as visible as an actor uh, since Breaking Bad as ever. He does a lot of projects. Just finished season two of Your Honor on Showtime, and the upcoming film Jackpot, based on the Norwegian film Jackpot. Four guys win a jackpot over a million dollars, but when it comes to dividing it up, things get messy. So that could be fun. And of course, Josh, two favorites here on Awesome Movie Year. He'll be in Argyle by Matthew Vaughn and Asteroid City by Wes Anderson, who he collaborates with often. Have we talked about Matthew Vaughn on this? We did, we talked about Argyle and you uh, you took a shot at it. Oh, okay. I don't even know what, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like, like we said, there's so many successful actors in this cast. We could just run down the credits of like 10 different people. Um, I mean, since Alan Arkin was the one who was nominated for an Oscar, I feel like, you know, we should say this is not a movie, you know, not that he needed a launch pad or whatever, but, you know, what he's done since then. And he's, I think, 88 years old now, so he can certainly retire. But, you know, he's done a lot of these like funny old guy things, you know, going in style and stand up guys and grudge match. And he was on the Kaminsky method on uh, Netflix for two seasons. And I think his most recent role was doing a voice in the Minions sequel. And you know what? Good for him. Whatever he wants to do. That's outrageous. Why are you saying that? <laughs> That's a pretty good impression. I don't think... Yeah, not I don't drew, think... drew it right now. I don't know. <laughs> That's actually really good. <laughs> I never worked on it. I'm just trying. 
But, uh, you know, to me, it's uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is where I like to remember. And yeah. Little Miss Sunshine, right? So. I mean, he's got a million great credits sure. if we look at the past. I yes. Mean, you know, legend, we, legend. Yeah, absolutely. Tony Mendez, the real CIA agent who was a consultant on this film, he, in conjunction with this, wrote a whole book uh, just about this operation where it had previously just been one part of his earlier book. And he uh, wrote another book about uh, his experience in the CIA afterwards and uh, passed away in 2019, but certainly, you know, got a lot of extra acknowledgement for his career out of this film, it seems like. Well, I didn't know he died, so that's sad. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, it is sad, but um, was able to sort of bask in the uh, attention from this film, at least that's for a good. while. You yeah. know who's basking right now, Josh? Tell that's me. called a segue. John Goodman, that guy is doing like 28 projects, I think, right now, you know, and uh, we got the Righteous Genstones and is the Connors still a thing? And now the Connors is still a thing. Yeah. All the monster, you know, Monsters Inc. is coming back with new shows and everything. He's just all over it, John Goodman. And as well, he should be. He is so multi-talented. You know, he can do a sitcom like the Connors. He can do serious dramatic stuff. He can work with the Coen brothers. He's he, he can do a voice in a Disney movie. He's brilliant. Is he, is mm -hmm. he, if not the most, one of the most underrated actors, given all the things he can do? I think he might be. I mean, maybe I wonder if like, I think he's great. I don't know if I would even say he's underrated anymore. I feel like good for him that he's really appreciated properly now. Yeah. Don't try to get him to roll on Saturdays. Shomer Shabbos. <laughs> exactly. I just watched yes. that again recently, which is, uh, you know. The, one of the greatest movies ever made, I think. Yeah, Lebowski. And oh, yeah. talk about something he should have been nominated for. I think, oh, yeah. You know, him and, yeah. uh, and Jeff Bridges could have had nominations there. Yeah, that is a movie that, I mean, is not underappreciated anymore, but certainly was at the time. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention is that in real life, the screenplay for the film Argo, and in the movie, they kind of gloss over where it came from. But the real screenplay was actually based on a novel by... Roger Zelazny, who is a very famous sci-fi writer based on his novel, Lord of Light. And it was the CIA who retitled it Argo for this project. And of course, Argo as a film was never really made. But as, as recently as 2017, Lord of Light was in development to be a TV series. So I think it would be kind of weird and interesting to see the actual source material for Argo be adapted as a film. They have to go shoot it in Iran, man. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Uh, which this movie was not shot. And of course, it was no. Istanbul that doubled as it. So Yeah, and effectively so, it seems like. Not that we've been to Iran and know what it looks like. Josh, there is about 15 other actors we could go through, but um, maybe that's just getting uh, a little too much. Uh, I will say that uh, McNary, who you mentioned, is in the new Marielle Heller movie, which is going to be exciting, called Night Bitch. A stay-at-home mom worries she might be turning into a dog. That sounds oh yeah, very, that sounds hello, yeah, hello, yeah, and uh, and we'll see. That was the last one, I, and I and I I'm a big Tate Donovan fan, as you know. Yeah, he is underrated, I think. And you mentioned Chris Messina as an Affleck favorite. He does have it looks looks like a decent sized role in Air. So yeah, I think he's playing that. David Falk, who was Michael Jordan's agent, which is a big part. So you know, and uh, Tate Donovan will be in the new uh, Alexander Payne movie, The Holdovers. All right. Sounds good. So uh, any other, I mean, it seems like we've really covered the gamut here legacy wise. I think so. I mean, we could just keep going, but you know what, if you want to hear more about some of the supporting actors, why don't you reach us on social media? 
do that. Good segue. Uh, that is Argo. That's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Do reach us on social media. Yeah, you can find us awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Don't know why we're still on that platform. Uh, I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy and all the things. You can find Eat This Comedy on Instagram also. And eatthiscomedy.com is a website. Go for Jason Needs to be Rescued by uh, some secret operation. Yeah, uh, Josh Bell hates everything.com has some. I, I may have some Ben Affleck stuff on there from way back. Uh, more recent updates at Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook, at Signal Bleed on Twitter, and on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And I believe uh, the two of you will be joining me to talk about air. So we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. we're going to do it, baby. More Affleck discussion. <laughs> we're all in on yes. Affleck. We like Ben Affleck. We're happy he's uh, hitting the uh, big time again. Totally. We do indeed. So he found the way back. He did. Ooh, we, uh, we support nice. him. Uh, and what do we have in our next episode, Jason? Josh, I believe it's Dave's pick. So let me tell you about it. Uh, no, Dave, go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, yes, for my pick, uh, it's not very often we do these recent years on, on this show. And I thought it would be a perfect time to finally talk about some A24. And we're talking about Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. Ooh. So tune in next time for Spring Breakers. And Finally, A24 getting some publicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. It, much like Ben Affleck. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.